Welcome back to the BGD podcast. I'm your host, Raquel Willis. And the good news for you is that June actually allows us to have a third episode because the weeks, something, you know, the year's always different, the months are always different. So we got a third episode this month. Um, I like to call it a bonus episode. Um, but I am so excited to be back. I know I always say that, but definitely am amped for this episode. Um, I have a dear friend on, um, but I'll give you that rundown in a second. So this episode, there's been so much going on in pop culture this week. Uh, we're going to break down all of that, dismantle all of that stuff. We're going to talk about Serena Williams and her maternity cover on Vanity Fair, the ESPN body issue. We're going to talk about Rihanna's new supposed boyfriend, Kodak Black. And then we're also going to talk a little bit about the BET Awards. Um, And that's going to round us out. This has been um, a great month. We've had some really great guests on. And to add to that lineup, I have Arielle Marie. She is a poet, an activist, an organizer, and hip hop scholar, also the host of L of Two Cities. So check that out on YouTube. And like I said, a dear friend, um, I've known you in bo- in two cities, right? I think those are both <laughs> yeah. the two cities, right? Right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome. How are you feeling, Ariel? Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm feeling great. It is starting to warm up. I recently relocated to the West Coast, and so I'm really enjoying all of the seasons that we get here, which is not what I'm used to coming from Atlanta. It's cute. It's really cute. <laughs> It is. Yeah, we've had some really good weather the last, like, I guess, like, two weeks or so. It's just actually been, like, summer and hot. and Right. um, Right. Yeah, just letting our skin soak up all the rays, our melanin glistening. Right, it's glowing. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. So speaking of glowing, uh, Serena Williams was on the cover of Vanity Fair um, or is on the cover of Vanity Fair, I guess for the July issue. And she looks amazing. She looks so good. She definitely does. Um, I, I, you know, just Vanity Fair, I mean, their uh, spreads always look so great and glamorous. Like they've had a lot of great covers in the last few years. And hers mm-hmm. is really like art, you know, like this is something... I could see folks studying in art history like next week. And what I love about Serena, I mean, I mean, just be honest, Serena is bad all the time on Instagram and in Beyonce music videos. Like, I don't care. She looks flawless no matter where she is and what she's wearing. But when you think about the way that her body specifically has been politicized, has been ridiculed, has been critiqued throughout her entire career as an athlete, her being able to like walk into how she expresses her own womanhood, what that looks like for her and her being like, you know, fuck y'all, I'm gonna be naked and pregnant on the front page of this amazing um, cover, this amazing, I mean, Vanity Fair is known for their editorials or their, you know, their fashion, their input in the fashion world. And for her to be just her whole self, I just love it. And I think that her baby bump is popping and she makes me have a little bit of baby fever if I'm being really honest. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. I mean, between her and Beyonce, like if you black out here and you ain't having a baby, I don't care what your gender is, what your body configuration is. (laughs) Everybody is feeling the pregnancy right now. Um, And, you know, I love this because, you know, Serena, like you said, has been dissected for years, right? Whether it's the people who are saying all the horrible um, misogynistic things or whether it's the praise, right? Because both of it is, both of those are uh, really dissecting her life. Um, and, and so it's great to see her kind of claim this, right? I, I, I imagine that this is a moment for her to to really stick it to the people who are always trying to strip her of her womanhood. Absolutely. Um, and especially, you know, as a black trans woman, I, I definitely 
feel for what she has been through. Cause I, I mean, it, there are so many ways in which black women, cis and trans are just not allowed to embrace their womanhood without critique in ways that women of other colors, particularly white women are. Right. And I think that it's exactly what you said that her being able to reclaim this, her body, her womanhood on the front page, I think is just like something that is so, I mean, I can just imagine like the, the joy and the bliss that she's feeling, not only as someone who's about to be a mother, but as someone who's allowing this journey to kind of give her that like, you know, IDGAF, like I'm out here, I don't care what y'all have to say, which is something that we've seen her kind of like take on in the past couple of years. And um, as a queer woman, like, I just think that, that like that, like, I don't know, if, if you are a non-norm, like if you are otherized as a woman, which I think that black women at our variety of intersections are always otherized. Like whenever we take that, that, that flame back, whenever we take, uh, we champion, you know, uh, allowing ourselves to show up however it is that we show up, I am always so down for it. Like it, it just gives me so much joy. <laughs> Definitely. And so, <coughs> excuse me. And so it was interesting because, you know, as I was reading different articles and things, I saw this one article in the Washington Post. It was titled uh, Washington Post. I knew <laughs> this article. Right. It was titled Let Serena. <laughs> it was titled Let Serena Williams Naked Pregnancy Photo Shoot Be the Last of Its Kind. And so, you know, when I see these kind of articles, I'm like, oh, Lord, you know who it is. Oh. But this actually was from a woman of color. I, I imagine she might even be a black woman. Her name is Robin Given. Um, and basically, you know, one of the quotes from the piece was, a woman who does not live her life on a public stage might hire a photographer to memorialize these special nine months and then took those images into a family photo album, framed them for display at her house. But to place those photos on the cover of a major magazine or insert them into an Instagram feed that reaches hundreds of millions of fans suggests not only that one's pregnancy is of interest to the public, but that it is also meaningful in some unique, grand and sweeping way. So she had a feeling about this. She also took a stab at Beyonce saying that she elevated pregnancy into an art house film starring dot, dot, dot Beyonce a few months ago when she posted right. her Madonna image. Right. Um, and, and it was just really interesting to see this take on it. Um, and I, 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 we've seen these kind of articles, period. And, and I haven't really actually seen them for anyone but black women, right? Like, I don't exactly. think I've seen that these kind of articles outside of Serena's pregnancies or, or Beyonce's pregnancy. Um, and I think it's so, you know, th this is also a very like Eurocentric idea of motherhood in my estimation. Exactly. Because historically, especially in, in our like African history, right? Having babies and children survive and be healthy and and make it through a pregnancy is is lauded and and cherished particularly in communities of color differently than they are in this kind of white eurocentric way that it's being stripped down to right i think that's exactly right i think i mean when i just think about the the act of mothering uh, as a black person, no matter your gender, the act of raising a Black child in the current climate and what happens when you are tasked with the, with the responsibility of not only giving a child life, but keeping them alive. And that, I mean, it is one of the most um, troubling, stressful, taxing, jobs for any person who is charged or who has taken on the charge of mothering or or parenting a child and so why not celebrate why not not only like praise our bodies that the the bodies that give birth or the bodies that that carry but also the bodies that that bring that 
that are a part of the community and the villages that hold these babies down. Our babies are 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 under attack. We are our community is under attack. And so like I'm looking at this article where she's basically trying to like um devalue or like like de-celebritize de the act of of mothering. And I'm just like, listen, this is we get to celebrate this. We get to, I mean, there's a reason why everyone is so excited for Beyonce, so excited for Serena, not just because they're our faves, but because I think that on, on some level, um, especially folks in the black community, black and brown folks realize that this, this act, this taking on this charge of bringing up uh, a black child in this world is one of valor. And we should not be ashamed of, you know, respecting it, celebrating it, turning up, like, all of that. I totally agree. Um, and so it's really interesting at the end of this piece that uh, this uh, that given she she juxtaposes this cover with Serena posing in one of the ESPN body issues. So the one back in 2009. And so she lost she lauds the fact that, you know, she is she's being an athlete in that photo, right? And showing off herself as a professional instrument. And so going completely in line with what we were saying about this kind of Eurocentric capitalist idea, right? So it's okay to celebrate in that context, but not, <clears throat> you know, pregnancy, something that, you know, is personal, but also we've heard so many narratives about how, how much, um, relearning of of the ownership of the personal body that mothers go through while they're pregnant. And so going off of that, right, on the opposite end of the spectrum this week, um, football player, <coughs> I forgive me, folks, if there are any sports folks that listen to this, don't get mad at me for not knowing what position he plays, because Lord knows when I, <laughs> I see sports i'm like oh is he cute oh is the jersey cute he got oh, a booty he got right a <laughs> right is he playing in the team that i live in in the um for the team in the town that i live in those are my only parameters um and so ezekiel elliott he's definitely a cutie um he's on the cover of the body issue i mean he looks great right um I'm really fine like i'm i'm here for the tiny <laughs> i'm here for the sultry smoking glare into the camera. I'm here for all of this. I don't know if he, you know, dribbles a ball or if he throws a basket. I don't know what he does. I'm excited for him though. Right. I mean, he's one of those players that definitely oozes this kind of like black boy joy, right? Because he's yes. also the one who really is like all into these, these boy crop tops, which is so cute to me. Uh, and I mean, you know, he got a little abs over there, whatever, I see you. <laughs> um, but so he's on the cover of this magazine, which is a huge feat. Cause I mean, I he's only really been in like the public eye as a professional player for a, a, a few years, right? Like it hasn't been that long. I remember when people started talking about yeah, him being drafted the first time. And so some of the comments, right, particularly from men about the body issue, which, first of all, we know the ESPN body, body issue happens every year. This is not new. There have been nude right. athletes, male athletes, female athletes forever, right? I, and last year, they actually had, um, shout out to last year, too, because they also had the first, um, I think, trans athlete. Um, in the body issue, which that was cool too. Um, so anyway, some of the <laughs> tweets from these real hurt, real fragile men. First one, sports. The S stands for sports, not strippers, referring to ESPN, right? Right. <laughs> the second one says ESPN has completely forgotten who its target audience is. No wonder they're losing readers and subscribers. <laughs> and, and lots of exclamation points in that one. And then the last one is just one word, homosexual, right? And so, you know, they're up in arms about the fact that this dude is showing off his body. And again, also, let's be real, he's a black man too, right? Because again, this issue happens every year. So it's not new that we would see a nude athlete. And it's just people so eager, particularly these cishet men, so eager to strip him 
of his manhood because he's doing something artistic or celebrating his body. The cis heads were wilding. They're definitely wilding. They're upset. I don't know why. <laughs> um, the unfortunate part of this is that, like, exactly what you were saying, this does happen every year. Um, and I remember when they had um, a baseball player who had, you know, a slightly non-normative body who was a little bit larger in size. And um, he was on the, he made it to the cover. I think it might've been 2015. And there was this huge conversation about what athletes look like and who's allowed to be naked. And so much policing of the bodies of these men, because, you know, it was objectively like, not, well, not object objectively, but like definitely um, like, a, a source of some sort of controversy because men were naked. Ah, oh my God. But then when women are naked and even this year with, um, what's mama's name? Wozniak. I think her name is Caroline Wozniak. Um, when her um, picture came out, everyone was fine. The sisters were not wilding. There was no one who was upset about a woman being naked or, or showing off her, her athleticism, excuse me. Um, and I just thought that it was really funny that here we are kind of having this conversation about like what agents, like who has agency over their own body and like whose bodies are sexualized, you know, by specifically men and how men get to decide what is and is not appropriate for how women, you know, um, show off their bodies versus how men show off their bodies. And like, I just think that it was really interesting to watch, especially because this is something like you said, that happens every year without fail. Right. And I, I'm just like, you know, <laughs> at least this is something like artistic and happening for a reason. And he's not just like one of those dudes in the gym who takes up all this space and wants everyone to see his games <laughs> or right. whatever in front of the mirror. Like men are hella obnoxious about their bodies, especially ones that are like, you know, not necessarily athletes, but are like really built, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And so just just ridiculous, right? Like, just celebrate it. Like, be able to say, oh, homeboy looks good, da, 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 and not think that it's an indictment on your sexuality or on your identity. It's just ridiculous. Like, can um, you imagine if a woman went off every time we saw a another naked woman? Like, if this heterosexual women went off every time there was some naked woman or some you know, half naked woman on a billboard or on um, an ad camp during an ad campaign or on a magazine, there would be constant, like there would be no space because women are always, like, it's always our bodies that are, you know, up for the, up for the view, up for the, you know, the gaze. Um, but suddenly when it's, when it comes to men, like you're saying, they're just like completely obnoxious. I just think that's really funny. Like, and so childish. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, and so speaking of childish, right, the public has had some wild, wild thoughts about Rihanna's new boyfriend. Um, and so some photos of Rihanna's boyfriend came out yesterday, her and him, you know, doing the cute little couple pool thing, probably a little bit more, but we ain't get those uh, sort of details. <laughs> Um, but it, it turns out the the guy she's been photographed with, his name is Hassan Jamil. He is a Saudi billionaire. He's like the, the, the deputy president and vice chairman of a family-run business named after his father, father Abdul Latif Jamil. Um, so he he's also a key investor in Toyota and like he owns a soccer team. Right. He Fine as hell. Like, the list goes on. <laughs> right. So he has coins, right? And so, of course, people had a lot of thoughts, right? I was excited. I was like, okay, Rihanna, I see you. Because after the whole Drake thing last year where she, like, curved him on MTV and that was kind of the end of it, I was like, okay, I, I don't want her to be with Drake, really. Like, once upon a time, I did when I was younger. And, yeah, same. you know, really was like, okay, with the fact that Drake was like a fuckboy who won't admit that he's a fuckboy. He's like a sad fuckboy, which is even worse. <laughs> right, he's a soft boy, right? Isn't that Yes, yes. So this was exciting. Um, and I think it was exciting for a lot of folks, particularly women and, like, queer folks, because... 
we love Rihanna, right? And and a lot of cishet men love Rihanna too, but particularly because of how she looks more so than anything else. Exactly. Let's be real. Yes, um, <laughs> and so the the issue that some folks had, actually a very similar issue that people have with Serena when her her um I think there's the she hasn't she hasn't have they gotten married yet? No, I think they engaged. Yeah. Okay, so the same thing, right? Because Serena's fiance is a white man mm -hmm. and Rihanna's potential new boyfriend, I don't think that that has necessarily been confirmed, um, is Middle Eastern. And so all of these comments from a lot of black men on Twitter were, you know, saying how they wish she was she would get back with Drake or right. like that she was with the black dude. Right. and. Of course, on the other side, people were like, well, her track record with black men ain't been da 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 And so, mm -hmm. so it's just interesting that this always comes up, right? That, mm -hmm. you know, women, black women are particularly told that, you know, we're supposed to only be interested in, the black, in black men and pursue black men. And then anytime we talk about how black men overwhelmingly, like, at least in the public eye, right, will say, oh, you know, it's just a preference if they don't like Black women, although this preference is very common and doesn't really make sense because you would think that I'm not even going to go into that. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, I got two specific, like, points about um, this issue. So the, what, what kills me, right, is that we're not all jumping up for joy for Rihanna that she's about to get her back blown out on a private jet. Like, let's just be happy for her. Let's just, you know, rejoice in that our sis has found somebody who is, you know, able to compete with her financially in ways that, you know, other men probably can't. And she, like, like someone said on Twitter that I was watching, uh, reading rather, like, it's not like Rihanna is not loyal to black men. She has dated a lot of black men in the past. She dated everyone's problematic fave, Chris Brown. Well, he's not my problematic fave. He's not my fave at all. I can't stand him. But she dated Chris Brown. She, you know, played around with Drake for a second. And I think what we need to be really honest about is the simple fact that Rihanna is a top. Rihanna is a top. <laughs> she's got money. She's got a plan. And she's not playing with these kids out here. And she probably, like, there's probably a lot of uh, Black men who, from the from these tweets that I'm reading, who would not even know what to do with a woman who's got her own, who is chilling, who ain't worried about no kids stuff. Um, and and I and I'm I my thing is like get get love where you find love. If I mean, this is something that we talked about, like you said, with Serena, and then you know now that we, now that we're talking about Rihanna, the same conversation is resurfacing about you know her quote unquote loyalty to black people because she's not dating black men, and I'm like that. I, I just I don't really what there's just how do you question someone's loyalty to their people based on who they're dating? I don't really I don't see the I think it's a false equivalency. What I do worry about, though, is the unmistakable, like, like, kind of like ever-present labor that is always bestowed on Black women, especially inside of intimate relationships, that can carry over into an interracial relationship. The the labor that someone has to do to unpack someone else's problematic anti-Blackness that I don't think should be a part of the dynamic of an inter of an intimate relationship. Um, and so it, I think it's just really important when people, when, when black folks, you know, whatever their gender is, are dating outside of um, their race, like there's so much inherent anti-blackness and in, in, in so much that we do and all the ways that we navigate the world that I just hate the idea of black women having to like to, to labor through that sort of like toxicity like with with without any sort of like protection over their well-being and their you know mental and and spiritual wellness and their self-care that's my only thing but everything else all this other talk about loyalty to black folks and love of black folks i, I mean we can get that um whatever we the next next topic because <laughs> it's because <laughs> what what loyalty do we have what loyalty are black men uh, held accountable for to black women like it's i don't it's just it's not reciprocal 
I definitely don't think it's reciprocal. Um, and and you know the thing is is that no one, I think very few people, right, are like anti interracial couples, right. right? I think that that's how the conversation is read, particularly when Black women speak up. But that's right. because we have to acknowledge this kind of like social system where. Mm -hmm particularly black men who are successful or have money or are public figures routinely go after a certain type of woman, right? And so that that type of woman is associated with success. And, and, and it's sad that that is the case. And that's something that we actually need to continue to have conversations about and not, you know, just shoo away the conversation, which is what I think a lot of black men do. Um, and, and so that woman, right, is the white woman, right, or the really light-skinned woman, right, or the Latino woman. We see this on social media all the time where mm -hmm. Black men are saying that, you know, Black women have all these issues or they only like Latinas. I mean, how there's there are people right now on Twitter who have handles and their names are, like, say that they are only into um, women who aren't black, right, or are Latinas, right? Like, I, I, there are so many guys like that I've seen on my timeline since I've been on Twitter that are black that literally have I only mess with Latinas, I only do blah blah blah, blah. And, right. and that is a problem um, and something we should address. And it's also very much exemplified in one Kodak Black. <laughs> Huh, this nigga here. <laughs> right. And so, I, you know, I, I want to uh, take a second before we move completely into talking about him and what his issue is. Um, you know, Rihanna, beyond this cute, you know, rich boyfriend, successful boyfriend, Rihanna has had a dope year. She received the Harvard Humanitarian Award, gave this great sassy speech in her like you know typical fashion because she has an amazing personality of course um wild wild thoughts wild thoughts came out recently and she looks amazing in that everyone is celebrating thick rihanna um, <laughs> and uh, and she's also within the last week been tweeting at world leaders about education for the global partnership for education right so I didn't want us to leave off without, you know, acknowledging that Rihanna actually does a lot with her platform and she deserves to be happy. Moving on to Kodak Black, somebody I really don't care if, if he Mike is ever ha happy yep. again. <laughs> so Kodak Black is in the news. Um, if you don't know who Kodak Black is, he is a young, rapper um i actually he, don't know any of his songs is he a rapper <laughs> <laughs> he's a lot of things um so he was actually on an instagram live stream uh the other day and and someone was talking about women that he's into right or that he thinks are attractive and someone suggested kiki palmer and he said kiki palmer she's straight i'd bag her but i don't really like black girls like that sort of kind of uh, and then he later followed up this comment with i love black african-american women it's just not my forte to deal with dark-skinned women i prefer them to have a lighter complexion than me my preference uh, you so subsequently he deleted his instagram account um <laughs> i guess because he couldn't handle you know facing the music but you know, what are your thoughts on this, Ariel? So I think this is exactly what we're talking about. And I try so hard not to get pissed off. I think that I, <sighs> there is a reason why black men prefer light-skinned women or non-black women. There's a reason. There is there, it's it, we are conditioned to completely ignore or to not be attracted to, or to be turned off by dark-skinned black women. And this is a historically upheld truth, stemming back from uh, slavery, even predating that, because of 
because of the way that we, because of the way that Black people and and people of the African diaspora have been tra- have been taught to um, survive in a white supremacist system, is that we, you know, literally uh, breed the Black out of a, a family line, right? Like um, I remember learning about the Jinde Color, which is a um, a culture of uh, Creole black people in the uh, enslaved South, and the the Genicolor, you know, my my background, I have Creole heritage. The Genicolor were um, people who passed for white, or they were so uh, quote unquote exotic looking that white men you know, quote unquote, forgave them for their black heritage. And that that society, there was so much um, affluence, both socially and economically. And I'm ranting now, Raquel, so I'm gonna wrap it up. But there was so much, there was so much influence and affluence that these people had because of the color of their skin, because they were able to pass for white. And we can't say, oh, this is just my preference, and then throw our hands up and walk away like, oh, you know, I just think the dark-skinned Black women look like, you know, you know, a shit stain. But, you know, that's just my preference. It's just, you no, know, that's just what I think. Um, we have to investigate why these are our preferences. And, I, you know, I don't put no, I don't put anything past Kodak Black, I don't think that he's some champion for equity or for Black women or for, you know, our visibility and our humanity. And so I'm, I'm disappointed um, that, that we're still having this conversation, but I'm not surprised because unfortunately, I mean, I hear this all the time, Black women are, you know, are, are treated like as the, the, the less than, the, the least of these, right? Like the, the least little bit in the corner that we can give out uh, all the crumbs to, we're gonna give to black women. And Kodak Black is just kind of like voicing what millions of black people, in my opinion, think. <sighs> Ranting because I'm pissed, you know, signed a dark skinned, brown skinned, chocolate as hell black woman who ain't having it for your shit. Right, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, you're, it's, it's all real and, and all so valid. Um, I, and the problem with this conversation is that people think it's as shallow as just dating. Although that, that in itself is, is a real topic, right? Like we should be engaging with desirability and, and, and that discussion. Um, but obviously we know that colorism goes beyond dating, right? I mean, darker skinned black folks are treated differently from birth, right? And families, like, I, I have definitely had older relatives who treated my sister differently because she was she was darker or, or made comments and things like that. Definitely have had plenty of friends who are darker who have talked about their experiences. Even, you know, reading um, Janet Mock's memoir her second memoir surpassing certainty which just came out um she talked about really engaging with colorism when she got into the media industry and and how she had some friends who um were darker right and they they were telling her like girl you'll be fine you'll get a job it's gonna be more difficult for me to to even get a job right so all of this builds up and so even if somebody is angry about this right there's a reason for that because there are often lifelong experiences that for lack of a better word color how a person moves through the world right so this is this is so important um and, and it also gets into you know we've been on this topic for a second but it also gets into issues with the casting of the Thurgood um, uh, biofilm that's gonna come out, the Thurgood Marshall biofilm, because uh, Chadwick Boseman, you know, people would think that, oh, this is great to have a dark-skinned man playing a light-skinned, like, figure, you know, public figure. Absolutely. You know, but that's not actually what the issue is. The issue is that Thurgood Marshall was a very light-skinned dude, and his privilege, especially at that time in American history, it matters that he was light-skinned, right? And it matters that we are able to really engage that. And if you have somebody who is dark-skinned playing that role, 
that tells me you're not going to engage the colorism, right? You're not going to engage Absolutely. that privilege and, and how longstanding this history is. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't have said it better myself. So <laughs> we talked <laughs> about that, right? Um, I think the collective uh, decision is that Kodak Black is trash, but you didn't hear it from oh, me, no um, or maybe you heard <laughs> it here first. Whichever one is better for the podcast. <laughs> um, and so moving on to our last topic, um, the BET Awards aired <laughs> this weekend, this past weekend. Um, a lot of good moments. I didn't actually like watch live, but I saw like videos as they were posted. Saw um, Ariel and I were talking about this earlier. We kind of watched through Twitter because <laughs> Black Twitter Look, when it comes to these pop culture moments, we got it on lock. We don't play. Like, it's descriptive. I don't even need image. I don't even need pictures or videos to complement what's going on. I know exactly what's happening as long as I'm, like, logged in. <laughs> right. Um, and so one of the big moments was Remy Ma winning the best rap female <laughs> category. Um, so she broke Nicki Minaj's seven-year consecutive streak, um, which I, some people had kind of slated was the reason that Nicki wasn't going to be at the BET Awards, because she kind of infamously said before that you, the only award show you'll catch me at is the NBA Awards. So she performed there, did this medley, um, taking jabs at Remy and, and some of those songs, right? Um, and so Remy mm -hmm. accepted the award to much applause. Um, yeah, I'm going to leave it at that because, Ariel, you, <laughs> <laughs> you really have some thoughts on this. <laughs> so let me tell you something. As much as it gave my shady little heart so much joy, to see Nicki Minaj knock down a couple pegs because she's been doing a lot lately. I just was so surprised that I was, I mean, I said it so many times. I was like, Remy Ma is not going to win this award. She's not going to win this award. I think it's just like too new, right? That like she just came back on the scene, to be honest. It's been a minute since she's dropped an album. She has no album out. The, the single that's out is this, this record that's 27 minutes long. So there's no way, right? wrong she i mean the 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 look on people's faces when they called out her name i thought was just hilarious i think that that moment was perfect i think that remy ma kind of like clapping back at Nicki minaj on stage with uh the lyrics that she quoted from spaghetti was hilarious i lived for that i i can't lie i was really shocked that young and may didn't get it because not only is Young M.A., you know, your stud favorite and like, you know, zaddy out here in these streets, but it's also like a really talented rapper. Um, and, you know, my little hip hop theory self just kind of be going off about the ways that Young M.A. has kind of challenged the uh, heteronormative, cisnormative um, culture of hip hop uh, as of late. And so with Young M.A. is coming this whole new um, generation of uh, gender fluid, gender bending, um, gender queer, queer, queer as fuck artists onto the hip hop scene who are who have been underground faves for a long time, but are now starting to, to become mainstream. And I'm really thankful for that. And I really think that like no one is really talking about you know how much her kind of like break onto the you know scene has kind of like opened the floodgates for other people or potentially opened the floodgates for other people. Um, and I'm just like, thinking about like how far Ooh went in her first album. I was like, Young and May got it. No, they decided to have this really political moment and like give Remy Ma the crown. Um, and I just, I think it's really funny. Also, Nicki Minaj has been missing. I, I just think her response to Young M.A., I'm sorry, to Remy Ma was like, whack. Like, Remy Ma comes up with this whole diss record, no matter who wrote it, you know, words of papoose. Like, no matter who wrote this diss record, Nicki Minaj like didn't come back with any heat and then to kind of tuck her head, tuck her tail between her legs and kind of run away from, you know, facing this. I'm just like, that is so not hip hop. You know, I miss the beefs. I miss the shade. I miss the drama. I live for drama. I'm a messy bitch. I was sad that she wasn't at the BET Awards uh, and chose to be at the NBA Awards kind of like, eh, throwing subtle shade. But that's my opinion. What do I know? <laughs> Right. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you said it all. You know, I, I'm not as familiar with Young Yame outside of Ooh. Um, Raquel. I think. Well, no, I mean, I, Raquel. Obviously, I know them, but you know, I think for me, I don't know. Young Yame doesn't really speak to me. I think because I don't know. It's something about. I don't know the like masculinity and mm-hmm. which I I completely obviously am for them being their full selves. I love GNC folks. It's a little problematic. <laughs> it's a little problematic. Um, but I guess it just didn't speak to me, and maybe that's because I don't know. I'm not. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's something about. Um, yeah, they hate. They're, they're strictly lesbian, right? Like they're not queer, yeah. and I think the ways in which they speak to me are probably different than how, you know, she would speak to, to someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, completely behind them. And I'm actually really sad because I need to add them to my Black Queer Revolution playlist that I made this week and I completely forgot. Oops. Okay. Um, and I anyway. don't want to oh, also know No, no, I'm sorry. Uh, she, I, I think, I'm sorry. They are not queer. They identify as less, like lesbian. Um, but they, I, are their pronouns they? I'm unclear of their pronouns. Oh, okay. That's that's wrong. Yeah, I feel like... See, feel this like is I'm the problem with being woke and consuming. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Out here, trying to be cute, but also woke on the low. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so so there was that, right? So So that's one music conversation that came out of the BET Awards. Another one that came out that's been all over Twitter and it's been a few days and it's still like all over Twitter is about Bruno Mars. Uh, so Bruno Mars did this whole medley, right? His last two albums have really been very funk focused, um, very much like new age, new age, like uncle music, black uncle music, <laughs> um, <laughs> which he's been very successful with. He sounds very good. I've gotten really annoyed with it because all of his songs become earworms and so they play them out. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he performed a medley at the BET Awards and the resulting conversation was that, oh, is Bruno Mars black? You know, this comes up a lot actually, like this isn't the first time it's come up, but um, folks were like, oh, is he black? Oh, he's not black. Oh, I, I, this is kind of appropriative. Um, because he doesn't identify as black, and he said that. Um, right. And so people are having, I, I guess it's a moment where people are trying to like figure out, is this appropriation? Is it not? What does that mean? Um, I personally don't see it. I don't, I don't know, right? Like, I think it's a complex conversation because he is very much open about the fact that he has been influenced by black music his entire life he never like um denies that like he's very upfront about that in a way that a lot of artists aren't um about their influences um i I think i i think for me personally i don't see it as appropriation i think the real conversation because he is not trying to be an agent of, of, of privilege, right? Like he's trying to like actually be real about where his influences come from. I think the real question is about the industry, right? And why there's space Absolutely. for non-black folks to perform what's seen as black music um, and, and, be, and have like access to the diversity of black music and be successful with it and profit with it in a way that black artists don't right because we think about all of the black artists who do what is strictly seen as r&b most of them never top billboard right there most of them are relegated strictly to the r&b um charts right 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 (laughs) even if they have like some of the hottest songs right like there are songs in black america there are always songs in black america even now right that pretty much only black America knows because, you know, we listen to a lot of R&B that aren't popular in the same way on the main billboard charts. Absolutely. And I think, I think you're exactly right. I, I, 
first of all, when I listen to Bruno Mars, I definitely think of like my uncles playing spades or like just like people barbecuing somewhere. And I, it, it just feels like that, that familiar music. And so when I, you know, did some digging and like looked into like Bruno Mars and like whether or not he identifies as black because his, um, his music has such a heavy funk influenced feel. Um, there are so many articles where he's like, I'm not black, but here are these black people who influence me. I'm not black, but li- this is this, this is this culture that has kind of like given me, um, given me strength and, and given me inspiration throughout the years. And I remember like learning about um, his like lived experience. Like he grew up in like this like concrete, like square basically that was, um, that was him and all of his siblings and his parents lived in and they were, they were really transient because they lived on the poverty line. And not to say that that's like, Oh, he's, you know, he's down because of this, this and this, but I think that um, there's a lot of um, musical genres, funk and, and blues specifically that kind of like have become, um, have extended from black culture and, and kind of uh, encompassed a, a, an audience that understands what it feels like to to struggle and to um, to um, to lose, uh, and he's never um, try. I don't think he, I don't I don't know if I think it's exactly what you're saying. It's complex, but he's never been like, oh, this is my shit, or I came up with this. Um, and I don't know. I, I never I, call me problematic, dragging me on Twitter for it. But I I just I don't I don't have beef with him about this. And I don't, I, I really have the language for why I don't, but I think that it's, I just don't, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't. Right. I, I, <laughs> I don't either. Um, I think, you know, I don't know. I, I, I do wish that Black artists had the same access to just. Absolutely. Experiments or fully delve into different types of music. And, and unfortunately, that's just not the case. Um, it's really, you you either got to have a real hot <coughs> hip-hop hoppy album, hip-hoppy album, I'm sound old right now, or... <laughs> hot. Hoppity. Or be super pop. For the most part, um, and I think this was what Tinashe was talking about when that article came out, um, was that there was really only space to to experiment and do things as a black woman in in the industry if you were Beyonce or Rihanna, right? And people didn't like the way that sounded, but I mean, I think there's some truth there, right? Like you have to have a certain platform before you really get a chance to experiment. And it's even an even steeper move for Black artists. Yeah. And I think it is the industry. I think, I, I wish that, you know, all the all them niggas crooning on Vine, right, were able to, like, have the resources available to them to become platinum hit-making artists because they have the talent and they have the capacity. Um, but I think that, I mean, what like, like I was saying earlier, anti-Blackness is seeped into everything that we do. And because of that, you know, the, the same resources, the same access, same visibility that Bruno Mars is afforded is not afforded to plenty of Black artists who are just as talented and even more talented than he is. All right. Well, we really got deep into these topics today. Ariel, I am so glad to have you as my partner in crime today. Um, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Bay. This was very exciting. <laughs> of course. We'll have to do it again, of course. Yes. Um, so, you know, is there anything you want folks to know about where to find you? Sure. Yeah, I um, I have a... Uh, YouTube channel where we talk about a whole bunch of messy shit and how white supremacy has people of color fucked up out here. Um, and you can find me on YouTube at L of two T W O cities. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter using the same handle. Uh, I talk about 
all your faves. I talk about myself. I like dragging myself on Twitter. I find it's it's entertaining for me and others. So you can join me in the drag. And uh, yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm out here. You know, Google, Google me. Google me out here. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> of course. <laughs> So thank you. Um, thank you again, listeners, for going through this journey yet again. Before I um, sign off, I want to lift up Ava Barron. Uh, she is a 17. She was a 17 year old mm. um, trans woman of color who was murdered um, this week in Athens, Georgia. Um, she is the 12th black trans woman this year murdered. Um, so my heart goes out to to her family, her friends, and her community, and people around the country um, who are saying her name. Um, I went to the University of Georgia and lived in Athens for like five years. Um, and it's interesting because when I was in school, I, I didn't really know any other black trans women. I really didn't know any other trans women. Um, I think it was a different time. I think people, also in different communities have less capacity to be their full selves. Um, so I honor her for being herself at such a young age as a young black trans um, child, girl, really. Um, so yeah, Ashe. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's all for this episode, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to visit us at bgdblog.org. Follow us on Twitter at bgdblog and like us on Facebook at bgd. Uh, this is, you got three episodes for Pride Month, so you can't say I never gave you nothing. <laughs> the BGD podcast is a production of Black Girl Dangerous Media. Bye. Bye.